there's a friend of this church, and he's a close friend of ours. His name is Dick Foth. Many of you know Dick Foth. He's been here and, and, and spoken before. Dick Foth has this great story. He had just met a guy, and he was sitting down and talking to this guy. He had, the guy had some questions about this, this man called Jesus, and who is Jesus, and what are his teachings, and what is this thing about a relationship with Jesus? And so they were talking about that, and they got to the end of the discussion, and Dick Foth said, you know, it might be a good time for us to pray and, and for you to, to talk to Jesus, and, and the guy says, I don't pray. And, and Dick said, would you like to? He said, I don't know how to pray. I've never prayed. So Dick said, well, you, just, you need to talk to him, to, to Jesus, like you're talking to me, and explain that to him. And the guy said, well, okay, I'll do that, but only on two conditions. First is, I don't close my eyes, and I don't hold hands with guys. So Dick said, well, that's great. We don't have to hold hands, and we'll keep our eyes open. And, and so this is what the guy said, and I'm going to give it to you in this edgy way he said it. He said, Jesus, I know you've been, you, you've been, been, you've been trying to get to me. You, 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 I know that you, you're, you're trying like hell to get to me. And Dick just kind of smiled. So they met a couple weeks later, and they were talking more about who Jesus is and, and about Jesus' life. And, and they get to the end, and, and the guy looks at Dick and says, that, that prayer thing? Can we try that again? And, and so he did. And I'm, I'm thinking that as they keep doing that, he's going to change his phrase to, Jesus, you've been trying like heaven to get to me. In these next four weeks, I want us to have Jesus teach us how to pray. I believe that our inability to punch through the tough moments is directly, directly related to our inability to understand or to practice how Jesus taught us how to pray. And as a result, we often feel much like this guy. Watch. Do you ever feel like you've done a whole lot of work, and especially in prayer, and somebody else is getting all the benefit? It just doesn't seem to be zeroing in where you wanted it to be. So I want to characterize what prayer is according to Jesus and how Jesus prays. And this is the characteristic of how Jesus prays. It's simply this. When Jesus prays, it's simple and it's powerful. This morning, I want us to see why it's powerful. I want you to understand that. And then in the next three weeks, we're going to actually take apart the way that Jesus taught us how to pray. And I'm going to give you some very specific ways to pray. Some of us have trouble praying more than 10 minutes. We just run out of things to say or do or don't know what to do. I can guarantee you that if you hang with me and you let me illustrate to you and give you some very specific things to do, that you will find that you can pray a half hour to an hour and feel like you're not done yet. And so I want to encourage you to be here as we walk through that. There, do, you ever, do you ever pray that you, you feel like you're speaking and, and you don't just you feel like the words aren't getting much above the ceiling? Like they're just, just hanging out there? You, you ever pray where you, you feel like you're not getting a hold of the power grid, the voltage is not coming through, in fact, you just find yourself kind of dozing off? Now, how many have ever been praying and you dozed? How many of you have been, been having listened to somebody else pray and you dozed? How many of you dozed this morning? <laughs> I got I to gotta confess, there was one time, when Pam and I were first married, we would lay in bed and, she, and we would pray together at night. And, and one night she was praying, and, and as she was praying, I, I must have dozed. Because I just kind of, and so she knew I had dozed, so she was going to teach me a lesson. So she just start, she told me what she did. She started praying. She had very, very good words, and then she went into nonsensical things like, oh, and God, the elephants that are marching through the room right now, we pray that. And she just started through all this stuff, and then I just nonsensical stuff. And at the end of it, she said, amen. And I went, 
Oh, yes, Jesus, all those things. Amen, amen, amen. How, how do you keep from being distracted? You ever, you ever say, okay, I'm going to pray, and you start to pray, and you get, you get a little bit into it, and suddenly you go, oh, 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 oh. the van needs an oil change. I've got to remember, the van needs an oil change. You get a little bit further, and you go, oh, man, April's soccer game tonight, and I haven't washed your uniform. And you just start getting those distractions. I have a friend that I, I worked for that if you did not get everything you needed to say to him concisely done in about 30 seconds, here's what he would do. If, if, if you're looking at his face and you're talking to him, and, and I'm him, and, and you, you get past 30 seconds and you're, you're talking, he starts doing this. He's finished with you. He's just checking everything else around. And then he'll look and go, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And, and how much more difficult is that? When you're trying to talk to Jesus or to God and you can't see him. And, and those distractions grab hold of you and you start, you start looking around. So I want to share with you something that happened to, to Pam and me Wednesday night, which was probably one of the most profound things up to this point in my life that I've ever encountered. Wednesday night had been a really long day. And so we had, we had crawled in bed and actually put on the TV just so that our brains would go numb. And we were just, we were falling asleep and we were watching a rerun of Friends. And at about 11.45, and the only way I can describe it is this way. At 11.45, it was like all of life was this, this scenery around us. And it's like all of a sudden, the normalcy of life just dropped. It's just like the scenery around us just went down. And if you would go into a subway and you would, you would take a, a mask and put it around your eyes so you cannot see, you, you don't see what's happening in the subway, but you hear all the noise and you, and you feel all the motion and you know there are things going around you, but you can't see it, but you know what's happening. At that moment, it was like all of reality stripped away. I can't tell you what I was seeing or what I was experiencing, but I just knew there was activity going around me. And it was not in a normal sense. It was in a very other dimension. It freaked me out. And so I said, God, this has got to be you. And I didn't want, I didn't want to freak Pam out. In fact, it so freaked me out, I turned the TV off and, and thought, okay, I'll just sit here and pray. And Pam said, I want to watch the end of this thing. So, so I put it back on and actually thankful she said that. I thought maybe the sound would drown out what I was experiencing, but it only intensified. So then the program was over, I turned it off, and, and Pam... I thought was going to sleep, and, and I thought, I, I, I'll just lay here. And I, I began walking down in my, my mind, God, what is this? Am I supposed to be praying for my kids? Are my kids in danger? Are they all, the, the two that are in Africa right now, are they okay? And I just started down through the list, and, and I wasn't pinpointing anything. I said, God, what is this? And Pam kept, kept turning and talking. I said, are you okay? She said, no. She said, something strange is happening right now. I said, oh, it's just not me. She said, there's this anxiety, but I'm not anxious about anything, but there's this anxiety of something that's, that's, that's happening right now. So I finally got up, and, and i got to be honest, it so freaked me out because it was just so other than a dimension I'm used to that I went into the house and I turned the lights on. I don't like it when it's dark and I'm freaking out. So I'm turning the lights on. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a wimp. I'm just, the lights are coming on. And I'm checking doors. I said, somebody breaking in. God, what's going on? And so I finally just sat down on the couch and just began to pray. God, what is this? And the only thing I can tell you is here's what I sense God said. I want to let you know, know that there is something happening in a different dynamic, in a different realm, in a spiritual realm. And I need for you to pray because something, there's something I'm, I'm doing and I need you to join with me in this process. You may not even know what it is right now, but it's happening. And I can just feel the activity around me. And so about 1.30, it lessened enough that I was able to just kind of fall asleep. And, and i got to tell you that, that it hasn't passed. It's still there. I can still, I can still sense it. You say, well, what are you, super spiritual? No, I'm just, I'm freaked out. Because, but, it, but it's real. There is a dynamic. Now, listen to me. There's a dynamic that goes beyond the oil change and, and April's soccer uniform and reruns of Friends. There is this dynamic that we need to be aware of. His name is John. He's somewhere in his mid-90s. Because of his faith in Jesus, he has been banished 
to an island prison. And we move into his life when he's praying. And he doesn't use the word praying. He uses this word. I was in the spirit. And by looking at that moment, I want us to see what is happening right now in a different dynamic, a different dimension than we even recognize with our physical eyes or hear with our, our own ears. And I want you to see that. It's in the book of Revelation. Take your Bible and turn to the very back of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the rack in front of you. You want to write some notes in your own Bible in the margins. They're also listed there on your outline. Revelation, the first chapter. The ninth verse. I, John, with all you, with you all the, the way, with you all the way, in the trial and the kingdom and the passion and patience of patience in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of God's word, the witness of Jesus. It was Sunday, and your translation may say, it, it, it was, what, what does yours say? It was the Lord's Day. And I was in the Spirit. I was praying. I heard a loud voice behind me, a trumpet clear and piercing. I turned and I saw the voice, and I saw a gold menorah with seven branches, and in the center, the Son of Man, talking to Jesus, in a robe and gold breastplate, hair, a blizzard of white. And we understand blizzard, don't we? Okay, white out. What he saw was white out. Eyes pouring fire blades. Both feet furnace fired bronze. His voice a cataract, and that means simply like a waterfall or a torrent of water. So loud. Right hand holding the seven stars. His mouth a sharp biting sword. His face, face a, pre- a prodigy sun. And that word prodigy actually means that the sun in orbit, and when it gets to its closest point to you at the pedigree orbit, he said, the sun so close, as close as it ever would get. That's what I saw in me, or next to me. This whole book of the book of Revelation, and some of you have tried to read this and go, oh man, this is, this is wild stuff. It is about a dimension with which prayer interacts. It's what happens when we pray. And here's what happens. Prayer inserts us into the ultimate dominion. Patmos was an island, and that's where John was, that by the time he got there, the Romans had pretty well taken everything green and destroyed it. They'd used all the wood for their projects. It was desolate. It was dry. It was deserted. And there was absolutely nothing that John could do about it. Do you have a Patmos? There's something in your life that seems so desolate, so dry, so deserted. Somebody says to you, how's that job search? And you say, oh man, every lead is dried up. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, you know, I I just can't escape my fear. Hey, you okay? Oh, I feel so isolated, so alone, and I feel like no one cares. I want you to understand this morning that our patness is designed for being in the Spirit. That thing that you feel is so desolate, so dry, that thing that you thought of when I asked you the question, what is your patness? That thing is made to be in the Spirit. See, prayer takes me and those I'm praying for and and puts me into into another dimension. It puts me into an extended dimension. Our our patness is that thing that's in front of us. In fact, would you just do this? Take your hand and put it right in front of your face. What do you see? What do you see? Your hand. Yeah. You're really good. You're catching on great this morning. Thank you. That's all you see. And so you, you, that's all you, you're talking about. Here's this Patmos, and this is the problem, and I can't get beyond this, this thing that's in my, front of my face. Now, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to drop your hand and look around. Well, now what happened to your dimension? It just, it just broadened something. Whoa. Here's what prayer does. Until we pray, we've got this Patmos in front of us thinking, how am I going to solve this problem? If I do this, if I do this, and that thing is just staying right there. It is not budging. But when you go into prayer, that thing begins to move, and I begin to see a dimension that I did not see before. I see space. See, I thought I had no space to move, but now I see space all around me that I didn't see before. I see possibilities that I did not see before. I see options that I did not see before. I see power that I did not see before. I see support base that I did not see before. 
the way that works is this. There, there is this wonderful film clip I want to show you this morning. It comes from a, a, a series that's now off the air, but a lot of people have enjoyed it in the past called The West Wing. And there's this wonderful scene on Christmas Eve when Josh, who, who works for the president, he's actually the deputy chief of staff, who has, has let life build up to the place that he is so frustrated that he went to his apartment and put his hand through a window. And he's cut. He's hiding it from everybody. He said he just, he broke a glass. In fact, he is so anxious and so frustrated that he yelled at the President of the United States. He didn't want to do that. So he's been called in to be reprimanded and he thinks he's going to lose his job. After that meeting, he walks back out and Leo, his good friend, who is the Chief of Staff, is waiting for him. And here's their dialogue. How'd it go? Did you wait around for me? How'd it go? He thinks I may have an eating disorder. Josh. And uh, fear of rectangles. That's not weird, is it? I didn't cut my hand on a glass. I broke a window in my apartment. This guy's walking down the street when he falls in the hall. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hall, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hall and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hall. Our guy says, Are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. As long as I got a job, you got a job, you understand? Don't miss this about prayer. Prayer exposes a graceful relationship. Because Jesus looks at you in that prayer in that Patmos, in that place where you've tried everything you can and you feel like you've screwed it up so bad you cannot change it. And he looks you in the eye and he says, as long as I've got life, you've got life. And he jumps in the hole with you. Why? Because he's been there before. And he knows the way out. This whole book of Revelation revolves around this one thing. It is the revelation of Jesus. It is Jesus saying to you, it's me. That's how it started. We read it. He stands there before John and says, it's me. Not, not the one hanging on the cross that everybody thought was so weak, but now look at who I really am. Me, God, in my glory. It's me, and I'm here for you. It not only starts that way, but as you get all the way through that book, it ends up that way. He says, oh, just in case you forgot, I want to let you know it's me. It's all about me. Revelation 22, here's what he says. He who testifies to all these things says it again. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. And it's not in your notes, but you know, I want to write this down. Revelation 22:20. He who testifies to all these things says it again. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Yes, come, Master Jesus. And then he says this. The grace of the Master Jesus be with all of you. Oh, yes. He said, now here I am with you because I have come to deliver to you grace. What is grace? Grace is pleasure, joy, favor, acceptance, those things, how you encounter them in heaven, in God's presence. And Jesus says, I take them from heaven and I bring them down to your Patmos and I stick them in your face and say, this is my grace. Sometimes at night I'll wake up and I'm thirsty and I go in my bathroom and we got those little little cups that are upside down and you pull them up like and they pop up, you know, those, those little Dixie cup things and you get a little sip. And when I'm really thirsty, I just got like five or ten of those things. I'm just pouring them in. This is not his grace. Here, have a little sip in your patent. I know you need to get a little little spongy lip thing and then take care of your, the little thirst you have. He said, no, this is grace. Anybody been on the Maid of the Mist, Niagara Falls? 
You see it there? The maid of the mist. It takes you down by the base of the falls. You've got water everywhere. You've got water coming off the falls and more behind it. I mean, there's not guys back behind us saying, more water, more water, more water. I mean, it's just, it's just coming. It's just flowing. It's, it's cascading off. It's pounding. It's pounding the rocks at the bottom. And if you're in that boat, you can feel the current. It is so powerful and strong. And you're hoping this guy's engines just keep going. He moves up close and you can feel that thing. And he, he's got the engines in there. And they're, they're just pushing and pushing and pushing. And that current's pushing against it. And you're just standing still. But you know there's power because that current is so strong. If you get on that, that boat, they, they give you these blue coats, these raincoats. You know why? Because you get soaked. You don't stand there and say, hey, where's the water? The water is everywhere. It's coursing down below you. It's cascading off the top. It's floating in the air. It is everywhere. That's His grace. When you begin to pray... And you sense there's something happening out there in another dimension. I want to tell you that Jesus is right there because he led you there. And his grace is just cascading over you. He said, right here in this moment, I want you to know my grace is just covering you. It is everywhere. I love the words of teacher Beth Moore. And a lot of you ladies right now are taking a class with her, her video series. Beth Moore says this. I'd be a liar to tell you that Jesus has been some big sacrifice for me. He is the unspeakable joy and love of my life. In crude terms, I think he's a blast. That's grace. C.S. Lewis, that great writer, said that, well, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's why Jesus said, hey, you've got to pray, because you have no idea how much of my grace is cascading over the top. And in your Patmos... You suddenly will be ushered from that dimension into my grace. That's what prayer does. You've got to look beyond your patness. And prayer opens up that full dimension. You go, wow. I have a friend that lives in Boise, Idaho, and has a couple places in Phoenix, Arizona. And God has blessed him, and he's wealthy. He's you know, just plain wealthy. And he is just, he's just so unselfish. He just gives like crazy to everybody. And so another friend from this church and I, we, we headed down to Phoenix a couple weeks ago to take in three or four days. We had tough duty. We went down there to live in his house and go to the Cleveland Indians training camp. It was just a horrible thing. It was warm. and It was baseball. And, and Mel is just phenomenal. Mel is a gracious guy. Mel has resources everywhere. And so in the mornings we get up and he'd be cooking biscuits and gravy. And, and Mel has this this philosophy, and it's this. Anything worth doing is worth doing to excess. So, I mean, it just wasn't little biscuits and gravy. There were bowls of biscuits and gravy. And he looked at us like, whoa, you, you, you can't eat five more? It's just, just, it's, and in that night, in the afternoon, he said, we're going to have ribs tonight. I'm going to make ribs. And so there's four of us going to have ribs. So he pulls out this, this rib this big. Four of them. Well, that should be good for you and good for you. I mean, it's just and the next night steaks and, and it just he keeps pouring it out. And the next morning he's making he's making eggs and bacon and, and toast and, and it's just it's just flowing. It's the way he is. He just, he just gives. Pam and I were with him uh, last summer. We we met them up in Seattle and and he took us out on a boat and and before we went on the boat it was kind of overcast. He said we're going to need some coats. Did you bring coats? And we said no, we don't need coats. And I said, well, I've got the kind of one that works. And so he walked into this, this store near, near the dock. And, and, he, and so he's getting a nice coat and he's getting his wife's coat. And he says to Pam and me, he says, oh, go get yourself a coat. Well, I, I'm thinking, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to infringe on you. It was a really nice coat, but I don't want to infringe. And Pam says, oh, yeah. <laughs> so Pam goes over and grabs this coat. And he says, here, pile it on here. You got anything else you want? And I'm thinking, what an idiot I am. She, she got under this, this, this deluge of grace and he just poured it out on her. 
Is it any wonder then that Jesus said these words, when you come and pray to me, ask boldly. Because you've got this deluge of grace, and when you pray, you begin to see it. And he said, "Don't, don't be miserly and say, oh, kid, if, if you could, if you could just, you know, God, I, I know other people are praying, but if you could, if you could just, if you could just do this one little thing, what do you think? God is on a quota." He said, I got more than you can think of, and it's just pouring over you. He says, but you don't understand that till you walk into my presence and see that grace as you pray. And as you pray, you begin to see, oh, and you become, you become greedy in Jesus. I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that, because he wants you to have that. That's why we say do it again here. That's why we pray, oh, God, you've done this thing, do it again. Why? Because there's more where that came from. See, somebody sent me one of those do-it-again stories. I'll share it with you this morning. Pastor Jack, I'm emailing you with my praise report about God doing it again. That Sunday in January, I think it was, when we prayed for God to do it again, I prayed for our business. My husband and I own a 10-minute oil change, and she says, where? When we refinanced the business loan, we had to use our home as collateral. Very scary. I prayed for God to keep our numbers up, car count up. And ever since that Sunday... We have been continually busy, especially on Saturdays. There have been even a few times when my husband had thought he was going to run out of oil. Not a good thing for an oil change business. I told him he was going to be mad at anyone because he was so busy to be mad at me since I was the one who prayed and my prayers were answered. See, do it again, Lord, because there's more there. During the service this morning while we were worshiping, Lindsay Allgaier handed me this, this note. And, you know, Lindsay has gone through heart transplant and she has some friends Obviously, that have gone through heart transplant. She handed me this note. She has a very good friend that was there in the hospital with her and got a heart transplant about the same time. And she said, just wanted you to know the docs told Christine, her good friend, that she needs another heart. Normal pressures are 8 or 10, uh, and hers is over 20. She's in rejection again and isn't doing well. This was two weeks ago or so. So we all prayed and prayed, and she had a re-biopsy Thursday a few days ago, and they said her recovery was a miracle. There's no rejection now. Grace is so unlimited for you. That's why we say do it again. Lord, because you did that over here for that business and, and for that healing. There's a lot more where that came from. It's not like we said, oh, you got the last one. It's not like the last piece of pizza. And he's still in there cooking. And it's the stuff you like. So who's taking care of Monday for you? And will that be grace or condemnation? Who's taking care of Tuesday for you? Thursday? Friday? You see, when John and Jesus had this encounter, in that day, every day was assigned to a god or a goddess to take care of that day. And for you to be able to be able to, to enjoy the day, you had to find out which God was in charge of Monday and appease that God, because if you didn't, you'd get condemnation. And if it was a rough day, it's because you didn't please the God. And then you've got to figure out which one is on Tuesday and make sure it's the right one. Because if this one's not working, maybe there's another one that will work. And now you've got to figure out how to make all this stuff work. When John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that was a key word. They knew when they read this exactly what he was saying. Because in the Roman world, the Lord's day was one day. It was an emperor's feast where they gathered together to praise Rome for putting the world together and keeping it just and peaceful. And the believers of that day say, oh, no, not Caesar and not Rome. It's Jesus. And so they said, what we're going to do is we're going to take this Lord's day. And we're going to put it on the first day of the week. It will be the first day of the cycle of prayer. It will be recognition that it was on this day that the Son of God rose from the grave. It is the day of power. It will represent that first creative day when this Jesus stepped out on chaos and he said, let there be light. 
And he brought order into chaos. He said, so on that first day, on the Lord's day, God brings order into our chaos as we pray. It is the Lord's day. We have chaos, but we have the Lord and his day. And the Lord is then the source of all succeeding days, because when I prayed on that day, it covered my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Friday, my Saturday. And I don't have to be concerned about who's controlling those days because I figured it out on the Lord's day. That is why on the Sunday following Easter. I'm going to invite you to gather with me and leaders of this church and and singers and worship people in our gymnasium at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And unless you're already in a class, teaching a class or ministering at that time, I invite you to join with us. Because from 9 to 9.45, before we come in here, we are declaring that first day prayer. We are going to begin to cover your family and your week and your university and your job and your neighborhood with covering prayer that first day. So you don't have to worry about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, God, you keep praying. But we say, oh, God, you are Lord of this day. We are not dismembered, but we are assembled. We are not scattered, but we are gathered. And every day belongs to this Lord. And he describes this Lord, Revelation 1.17. I saw this and fainted dead at his feet. His right hand pulled me upright. His voice assured me, don't fear. I am the first and I am the last. I am alive. I died, but I came to life, and my life is now forever. And see these keys in my hand? They open and lock death's doors. They open and lock hell's gates. That is the one you pray to. That is the one who says, I have the key to everything. That is the one you've talked to this morning. It is him. He is over everything. It is his day. It is his week. It is his power. He is the one that covers that dimension that happens beyond what you can even fathom. That God beyond the oil change and the God beyond the dirty soccer uniform and the God beyond the friends reruns. That God beyond anything you can ever imagine is controlling all those things and dimensions that you cannot even begin to understand are there. He is controlling it all for you right now, and that is the one that you talk to as you begin to pray. My question is this, that if he is Lord like that, are you expecting too little from him? He said, I want you to be bold. You say, well, wait, 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 you know, I prayed and, and, and I keep praying and nothing's happening. So let me address that. Waiting is answer buildup. Is what it is. See, we think that if there's no visible signs that anything has changed, then we go into our song, another one bites the dust, then another one bites, then another one bites, then another one bites the dust, because it's just gone and she didn't answer and he's, you know, he must be over in India dealing with those folks and, and when he gets back over here, I've got an appointment. Not true at all. You know, in that book of Revelation, there are these folks who've been, been abused by evil. And see if their cry is familiar to you. In fact, it says they're, they're underneath the altar in God's presence. And here's what they're saying. Revelation 6, verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long will it be? I've been praying and I've been praying and nothing's changing. How long will it be? I've done what you've told me to do. It's cost me a lot. And it still seems like the evil around me is, is, is just succeeding and nothing's happening for me. It's getting worse for me. I'm getting sicker. My finances are drying up. Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you hearing me? Do you hear me at all? That's what you're crying. Oh, Lord, how long until you hear us and do something about it? How many of you honestly would say, yeah, I prayed that. How long? Oh, God, what are you doing? The most amazing thing happens. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Says this, that when he opened up or opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And this is amazing because up to this point, as you read through this book, there are millions upon millions of angelic beings and human beings praising and worshiping God. And the noise is so loud that the actual doorposts of, of that place are shaking. 
You ever been so close to a, a bass speaker that you feel it right here? That's what they're feeling. And there's, there's thunder and there's lightning. And, and you know those, those thunder boomers that crash over your house at night and scare you to death? The whole place just shakes. The next morning you go, did you hear that? It was horrible. That's the noise. It's everywhere. On and on and on and on. And it's got this glory of God around it. And in the middle of that, God goes, shh. Because I'm listening. What are you listening to? I'm listening to. How long, O oh Lord? I'm listening to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm listening to. If there's any other way, could you let this cup pass from me? I'm listening to. Why did my mom leave my dad and us kids and run off? I'm listening to the guy standing by the tombstone saying, Why didn't he heal my daughter? I'm listening to that college student holding that bill saying, How will I pay this tuition bill? He's listening. Do you see it? Do you picture it? That as you're praying, he's saying, shh. Every syllable understood. Every nuance grasped. And what will he do when he listens? The truth is this, that every sincere prayer mixes with seismic movement. Now listen to me. Every sincere prayer is heard and has action attached to it. And it shakes the world. Listen to what John discovered in Revelation 8, verse 2. I saw the seven angels who are always in readiness before God handed seven trumpets. Then another angel carrying a gold censer came out and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense so that he could offer up the prayers of all the holy people of God on the golden altar before the throne. Smoke billowed up from the incense-laced prayers of the holy ones, rose before the God in the hand of the angel. Then the angel filled the censer with fire from the altar, and he heaved it to earth. It set off thunders and voices and lightnings and an earthquake, and the seven angels with the trumpets got ready to blow them. He said... God said to an angel, go get the prayers of all those saints that I have collected and put them in that censer, that bowl, and mix them with incense because that incense is what God loves to smell and it gives favor to those prayers. And he said those prayers came before him and God said, every single prayer you have prayed, now I want you to take those angels and I want you to put them in with that, those, those prayers and then that fire and take fire from the altar and I want you to heave it to earth and let it crash upon the earth so that the answer to those prayers will come crashing to the earth at the exact moment that they are needed, not too soon, not too late, but exactly when they need to be done. And from another dimension, they come flying to this earth. And they explode with God's answers. Those trumpets that follow, they proclaim his judgment against evil. The stuff that's been eating at you, the stuff that's, that's harassed you, this is his judgment against that evil. He's destroying it. He's saying that stuff that's caused you pain and caused you to cry at night, he has now declared justice against it. It's coming. It will take place at the right moment for you. As you live within that grace, he heaves it to earth. And those trumpets declare, and it's interesting, if you read those trumpets, they are a replication of the plagues of Egypt. For God has stepped out as he did back then and said to all the evil of the world, I'm coming and here I come and I want to tell you, let my people go. Those people in Erie, Pennsylvania on March 15th that feel so bound up, I'm telling you now, let those people go. I'm setting them free. Do you think that the children of Israel, when those Egyptian plagues were taking place, after they figured out what was going on, 
every time there was a plague, the frogs came and then the locusts and, and it got dark and the streams turned to blood and all of that stuff. Do you think that somewhere along the line they started thinking, oh, God's up to something. God's not happy. Something's on its way. It's, it's, it's on its way. Something good's going to happen here. God, God's listening. So, something's good going on right now. See, that's what prayer is about. You start praying, you start getting this sense, ooh, something good's going on. I can't see it right now, but God's got something. He's, he's, he's sending back. He's sending back those prayers. He's taking care of it, and He's going to release it and say, let my people go. Can I share, you, share with you a fun moment this morning? Can I do that? Not very spiritual, but it's great. The other night I was, I was seated on a couch next to Pam. And she had been very quiet and she was doing something on her computer and, and I couldn't see the screen. And, and I looked at her and she just didn't look back. And I looked at her again and she just, she's not saying anything to me. She's being very, very quiet. I said, what are you doing? She doesn't say anything. So what are you doing? Doesn't say anything. Kind of gives a little smirk. I said, what are you doing? So finally I get up and start to leave. She said, no, 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 sit down. Stay close to me. I'll show you, and boy, you're going to like it. So, in just a moment, I'm going to show you what she did. But then, then she eventually said, here, and she showed me the computer. So, now, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a confession this morning, and I hope you don't feel bad of me. But I'm a fan of High School Musical. I like High School Musical. One, two, and three. But Pam laughs at me. I did... It, 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 the ones that show on TV, if they come on, she go, okay, I lost him for a couple hours because I like High School Musical. So, she entered into my life the other day. Here's what she did. We have weird fun around our house. There are those moments when you're praying and you say, God, you're awfully quiet. I'm not hearing anything from you. And finally, you, you get up to leave because you just think he's not listening. And, and if you listen, he'll say, no, no, sit back down, stay close to me. Because in just a moment, I'm going to show you, and you're going to like it. In fact, it's going to make you dance. Because here's the deal. Prayer is the not yet, now. Do you remember when the story that when the children of Israel got to, to the promised land and the, the river Jordan was flooded and there's just no way to get across? And God said, take the priests and have the priests see the future. Let them see that I'll take care of them. And so have them take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the mercy seat of God. Have them carry that into the stream. And when their feet touch the water, the water will roll back. That's exactly what happened. And then have them stand far enough away from the people that the, the Holy of Holy, or the, the, the mercy seat doesn't get too close to them. But have that presence right there because they've never been this way before. And so they've got to depend on me. And they understood that the priests were to see the future and that they were to hold on to the presence, to trust the presence. So here's the deal. Paul, uh, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, said to us, we are a nation of priests. And we as priests are then called to see the future. 
and to trust the presence. God has called us to see that future, to trust that presence. You know, what, whatever happened to the Ark of the Covenant? You know, Indiana Jones found it and they stuck it in the warehouse and there it sits. Uh-uh. That presence of God, you, know, you want to know where it is? John found it, Revelation 11:15. The seventh angel trumpeted. This is the last trumpet of those, of those plagues and, and of the judgment of God. And the angel trumpeted and the crescendo of voices in heaven sang out, and the kingdom of the world is now the kingdom of our God and his Messiah, and he will rule forever and ever. And the doors of God's temple in heaven flew open, and the ark of his covenant was clearly seen, surrounded by flashes of lightning, loud shouts, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a fierce hailstorm. Right there. Do you see the future? And do you trust the presence? The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, the Messiah, and He shall rule forever and ever. You say, but that's in the future. But understand, where God is, there is no time or space for God is always, and He's always there. So it's happening at this moment. So that is why Jesus said, when you pray, say, what is happening in heaven, have it happen right here, right now. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And I pray, come your kingdom, be done your will in earth, on earth as it is in. So here's what you do when you pray. You say, I see by faith what God says is happening in heaven right now. And I say that the healing that is in heaven, I need right here, right now. The resources for my finances that are free in heaven, I need that right now. The broken relationship that I feel right now, relationships in heaven are whole. I need that here right now. That is what prayer does. And when you spend enough time with him and you see the grace that he has, you begin to see that and say, right here, right now. Say, but I don't even know how to pray. But you see, that is the presence of the Almighty. He says, I will show you what to pray and how to pray it. Several years back, very, very many years back, my, my brother Jay, when he was still in college, had gone up to Lake Tahoe. And they were body sledding. They were jumping off these hills and sliding down on their bellies on snow. He dove at a wrong angle, caught his head, impacted the snow, and flipped over. And immediately his, his shoulders went up to his neck, and he thought, oh man, I tore muscles. He drove himself back down the mountain to Sacramento, California, came to church that night, and we saw him walking around like this. And then what happened to you? He explained, and we said, You should have that checked. He said, Oh, I'm okay. He went out with some friends and, and, and shot some pool and had some fun, and finally he said, Oh, this is starting to hurt. I should go to the hospital. So he goes over to Mercy San Juan Hospital, and he says, I, I tore something. And so. They put him on a table, they x-ray him, and immediately after that, he said, suddenly they came rushing in the room and they sandbagged his head. I said, what are you doing? He said, you have broken your neck and you're about ready to sever your spine. They called us and so we headed on over and they said, now here's the deal. It's shifting, it's moving. We've got to stabilize it. Either we have to go in and infuse those together in surgery tonight or we have to put him in a halo cast and drill into his head and, and a body cast and, put, and connect that stuff together. We said, oh, God, what do we do? What do we pray? How do we pray this? We need your presence. And, and the presence of God said to us, just, just pray for his healing. And so we began to pray that night for his healing. The docs went in and x-rayed again just before they were going to do a procedure. And they came back and they said, we don't understand this. And so they did another set of x-rays. They said, we don't understand it, but somehow those vertebrae have fused themselves together. We don't know how, but they're fused. Instead of walking out with a halo cast, he went out with a soft collar around his neck. Because what's done in heaven can be done on earth. That's what God has for you. So don't ask small. Just be sure to ask. Don't ask fearfully, but gracefully be bold. And don't ask doubting because he's listening. He's ready to shake our world with his covenant of presence. Now, here's the deal. We pray according to who we see. And as long as you see Patmos, that's all you're going to get. But if you spend time with him, you'll see this. And in the center, the Son of Man in a robe and a gold breastplate, hair a blizzard of white, eyes pouring fire blaze, both three feet furnace fired bronze, his voice a cataract, right hand holding the seven stars, and his mouth a sharp biting sword, his face a pedigree son. That is the one you serve. 
And that is the one who says to you, I've been trying like heaven to get to you. So would you stand? Worship team, join me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to lead us in a new worship expression for this congregation. And I'm going to invite you to make it your prayer. It's about that Patmos in your life. It's about that desert that you're in. But it's your declaration that I may be in Patmos. But there's a whole dimension way beyond that that I'm trusting God for today. And I'm going to invite you to make this your prayer. And even if some of you are starting to get that expression, want to come here and just stand here and say, that's me. I'm, take, I'm taking my Patmos and I'm giving it to you, God, this morning. I'm believing that that's what's happening in a dimension way beyond what I, what I can see. You're welcome to just join us here for worship. And after we've gone through the, through the song once, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to tell us what to do and we'll dismiss. So just make this your prayer this morning.